reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. The Mighty One is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then went back to her own home. Thank you so much, Joy, and hello and good morning, everyone. My name is Rich. I'm going to be taking us through this next part of our time together. Um, and whether you're joining us live, uh, now or on demand, it's so good to have you here with us uh, today. Um, I know some people out there might have been hoping to see another Christmas jumper from me. Um, my collection is becoming kind of well-known, as Susie mentioned earlier. I'm now even branching out into lending my Christmas jumpers to other people so that we can spread the Christmas cheer even further. Um, but today I thought I'd keep it nice and classy. I'd go for a Christmas shirt um, instead, just to kind of mix things up a little bit, keep it fresh. Um, we are in the middle now of a three-week mini-series uh, exploring the idea of Advent. And uh, Advent is a time when the church has historically taken the opportunity to prepare for Christmas by entering a season of waiting. A season that echoes the waiting of the people of God uh, in the Old Testament, in the first half of the Bible. A time waiting for a promised saviour. And it's a time for us too now to reflect on how we wait for Jesus to come to renew and restore all things. And that can make it an uncomfortable season because it forces us to come face to face with the darkness in our world and the darkness in ourselves. But as Adrian spoke about last week, that also makes it a season that is particularly well suited to just this kind of year. Advent is made for 2020, when a weary world is desperate for something to rejoice in. And anyone who's ever opened an Advent calendar and been disappointed by the size of the chocolate inside, disappointed they have to wait for another day to open another box, has grasped something, a small picture of the whole point of Advent that we're not meant to just have it all now. That in a world where it's so easy to uh, do all of our Christmas shopping in a couple of clicks online, Advent teaches us that slowing down is good. That in the waiting, in the, the daily habits and routines that we can cultivate in this season, we're invited again to hear God's promise spoken over us that no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, even in this year of all years, 
God is the one who changes everything. Advent is uh, the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It invites us to look inside ourselves and look outside to the world around us, to sit with the darkness and the pain and the discomfort, to sit honestly with the heartache that we might be feeling this year, to allow our souls to be stirred with a a righteous sense that this isn't right, that this isn't how things are meant to be. Advent doesn't say we can fix things if we try hard enough. It doesn't say it's all hopeless. What's the point of any of it? Advent acknowledges that it really is dark outside, that we really can't heal or save ourselves. But nevertheless, there is hope. As Isaiah puts it, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In the darkness, in the waiting, there's a promise. Someone is coming who is going to change everything. That's a word that echoes down right from the very first pages of the Bible. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. And that's where we pick up the story in the passage that Joy so excellently read out for us. That someone is about to arrive. God is about to flick the switch on the revolution to inaugurate a brand new kingdom, a new reality, to turn the course of history on its head. And where do we find him at work? Where do we find him doing this cosmos-shaping, universe-defining revolution and transformation of all things? In a remote backwater corner, of a vast empire, miles and miles from palaces and princes and power, moving in the lives of two women, one thought too old, the other thought too young, Elizabeth and her relative Mary. This is where God is beginning the restoration of all things in the most unseen, the most hidden, the most unappreciated place. God is doing his most significant, his most world-changing work. And you know, that's always how he does it. That's always where he does it, even today, in the small place, in the hidden place. God is working to bring his kingdom and to bring transformation. And the importance of this of God moving in this way, in this place, with these people, is not lost on Mary. Luke is really clear through his account in the Bible not to present Mary to us as some kind of a a helpless victim, someone without choice or agency, but as a woman of remarkable faith and wisdom and authority. And that's something that comes through so clearly in her song from Luke chapter 1, verse 46. It is a song of tremendous depth and insight. 
the song of a powerful theologian, a teacher of the scriptures, of ethics, of justice. It draws on great biblical passages like Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2 in Psalm 113. Mary might be young. She might be from a forgotten town in the middle of nowhere, but she knows very well indeed that what God is doing in and through her is going to change everything for everyone. And so I want to take a little bit of time this morning to work through her song, to unpack it, to delve a little bit more deeply into what Mary is saying and what she has to teach us. We're going to look at how her words reflect a promise for her, a promise for us, and a promise for all. You see, hers is a song of looking back and looking ahead. You'll see that a lot of what she says is in the past tense. God has already done this and this and this. But it's also clear from the way that Jesus' life unfolds from this point on that Mary is speaking about, she's recognising what he's come to do, what Jesus himself is going to do in the coming of that new kingdom. She ties what God is doing in her through this baby boy to be born to what God has always done throughout history in the past. And there is a radical, revolutionary aspect to what this child will do. But it's not as a departure from what God has always done. It's the fulfillment of it. That's what she sings about in the last couple of lines. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. We're to take that line, the promise of what God has done and is doing, and read the whole song in the light of it. Someone's coming to change everything for her, for us, for all. And first of all, it's a promise for her. Mary's is a very personal song. It starts with that wonderful exclamation, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. There's a depth there that is revealed from the very first line, the first outpouring of praise, that Mary's faith is alive, that it's been cultivated in enjoying moments of God's goodness, of soaking in those great biblical passages of understanding that, as she goes on to say next, that although she's very aware that in worldly terms she does not have riches or influence or fame, she does have a living relationship with one she knows, even at this point, even before Jesus has done anything. She knows the one who will be her saviour. And at the same time, though, She's acutely aware that her faith doesn't just exist in a vacuum. It's not isolated from others. God's promise isn't just for her, it's for us. For the mighty one is holy. 
she sings. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. She is someone, in other words, who has known God's goodness and his kindness, who celebrates in what God has done in her life, but also knows that that experience is never just an individualistic thing. It's fundamentally tied to the mercy that God has shown from generation to generation. That the story of the people of Israel is her story. She's included in it. She's caught up in it, just as her own story is caught up in the big story of what God is doing in the world. That God never just deals with us as individuals, but always on the basis of his covenant commitment to his people. That he has committed himself to a people and that his blessings are expressed through his mercy to them. And that's a particular challenge for us in the modern Western world, especially in a year that has, uh, if anything, driven us apart from one another, or at least has risked doing that, has seen isolation and loneliness rise. To keep seeking out the mercy and blessing of God in the gathered context, in the community setting, that we're to keep seeing our stories to keep seeing our day-to-day, even in the hidden place, even in the unseen place, as part of what God wants to do in and through his people in a way that will change everything. And what he's doing through his people, as he has always sought to do, is to bless in order that all would be blessed that all would receive the promises of faith. Mary continues, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. The promise of what God is doing isn't just for one person. It's not just for one community or one nation, but for everyone. This new thing he's doing is gonna turn the systems and structures of the world upside down, just as he's always done. Think back to the Old Testament to Joseph, a man sold into slavery yet rises to become the right hand of Pharaoh and save a nation from famine. Think of Samuel, the boy brought up in the temple, called to proclaim God's word. Think of David, the shepherd boy, the smallest brother, exalted to become Israel's greatest king. It's what God has always done and it's what he's always doing. Mary's song is a shot across the bows, not just of the rulers of her day, but of us, of the ways in which the systems and structures of power in our day that we are each very much caught up in exploit the poor at home and around the globe, build whole industries devoted to death, breed social and racial 
inequality and devastate the natural world that's been given to us to care for. This is a radical call to live differently, but it's fundamentally rooted in who God is, in what God has always done, and what he does supremely through Jesus. Because this upside-downness, this reversal, this bringing of rulers down but lifting up the humble is so central to Jesus' message and to what he came to do. His is the upside-down kingdom. Well, the ones who are blessed are the hurting and the broken and the mourners. Well, the shepherd leaves the 99 to pursue the one, where the little children are welcomed in, not turned away, where the teacher himself stoops to wash his disciples' feet, where the ultimate victory over death and darkness is won not on the battlefield, not in the debating chamber, not in the palace throne room, but in the laying down of a life on a lonely hill, a rugged cross. This is how he does it. The promise from the very beginning that someone is coming who would change everything comes to fulfillment at the very action of our rejection, the very moment when we plunge the eternal light into darkness when we kill the author of life itself, that becomes the very act by which he accomplishes everything that he's always planned to do. The moment when the temple curtain is torn in two and the invitation is thrown far and wide for all to come. It's the moment that declares to all of creation that everything that might separate us from God the Father is brought to an end as Jesus is separated from his father. That everything that has been broken in the fall has been made whole in his broken body. That every part of shame and guilt that we've been carrying is dealt with as the only guiltless man in all of history dies in the most shameful way that humanity could invent. And then everything changes again. The stone is rolled away. Life bursts out on Easter morning. The birth of a new creation inaugurated right in the midst of the brokenness of the old. That we might know hope, both now and in the future, that God has committed himself to the restoration of all things. And that he's begun it now in and through us. The promise made centuries ago to Abraham that someone is coming who changes everything, that all nations would be blessed through one from his family line, is coming to fulfillment and it's starting here. A light is breaking into the darkness. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is here 
Jesus changes everything for everyone, everywhere. That's the heart of Mary's song, and it's the invitation for us this Advent. In a year where it feels like everything has been turned upside down, where everything has changed, we are invited to come to the one who changes everything, not to bring uh, confusion and frustration and isolation, as this year has done for many of us, but to be our saviour, to build a community of hope, to have mercy on the poor, to challenge the systems and structures that perpetuate injustice, and to extend the invitation to anyone and everyone. No matter what your story has been, you are invited. Invited to come. Invited to take hold by faith of everything that's already been accomplished and receive it with joy. To, like Mary, grasp the magnitude of what God has done and is doing. To hear and respond with that step of faith that takes you to Jesus. To join him in bringing his upside down, his liberating, love-proclaiming, life-giving kingdom. A kingdom that changes everything. A kingdom that is now at work in you. You're invited. In just a moment's time, we're going to respond by worshipping again. And as we do, we're going to declare the wonder of what it means that Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us, how that changes everything. And as we worship, wherever we are, live or on demand in our different locations, in our unique situations in this strange and difficult season, the invitation is for us to draw near again to hear his word of promise personally, as a community, and for the whole world. He has come and he changes everything.